Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast. I created this podcast along with my blog and brand to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life. I truly believe that we all have the power to live a life we love, and to do so, it's so important to be in tune with ourselves and be open to growing and evolving. I believe that once we can trust ourselves and our vision, that's when we can thrive. So with this podcast, I plan to discuss all things to do with self-reflection, personal growth, mindsets, and self-belief, all aspects that affect us in our everyday life. If you feel connected to my message and want to listen more often, I will be sharing one podcast a week, so make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe. I want to get right into introducing this week's guest because this is definitely a lengthy interview, a really great one. So to introduce this week's guest, her name is Christina Furia. Christina founded the Instagram page at Your New Frequency. Christina spent the first 10 years of her career as a mental health counselor and psychotherapist before realizing her true calling as a transformational teacher and coach. With a master's degree in clinical and counseling psychology, as well as a certification in coaching, Christina applies her diverse knowledge set of the mind, body, and spirit to empower those she works with to lean into their true purpose, to be free of the confines of a harsh inner critic, and to experience each day as a unique gift. So in this episode, we touch on many different topics, ranging from energetic blocks, emotional blocks, to the difference between responding versus reacting. We talk about meditation. Most importantly, we talk about visualization and taking action. I specifically like Christina's approach because I think it's easy for people privileged to say, oh, you know, just get what you want. Just send the energy out there. You'll get what you want. Because of course, if you live in a nice neighborhood and you have better opportunities, it will be easier for you than as opposed to someone who didn't grow up with the same opportunities. And so it's really important to recognize the reality of your situation. And that's why I really appreciate Christina's approach because she is realistic. And even though we talk about these topics, we also mention that we have to be aware of what our situation is and take action. So with that said, I don't wanna give too much away. I wanna get right into the interview. I hope you enjoy this one. Let's get right into it with Christina. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for being on the show. Of course, thank you for having me. Of course. So can you start off telling us about yourself and what you do? Well, I am historically a psychotherapist trained in an approach called modern psychoanalysis. And about two years ago, I went through a transformation of my own that led me down a completely new career path. Um, So I now am specialized in a specific realm of personal development that's actually called transformation. And so what that's really about, as, as the, the name suggests, is helping people to transform their lives, helping people to live a life that they love waking up to every day. I love that. And so um, I know you talked a little bit about um, your background, but what overall inspired you to get into psychotherapy and then to um, focus on transformation? Well, I was always one of those 
I don't know if this is the type of kid, but this is the type of kid that I was who just wanted to like pick people's brains. And I naturally kind of would get people to open up to me, even as like a really little kid without meaning to. And so I think that my parents probably kind of instilled in my head, like, hey, maybe you should be a therapist. And it just sort of stuck, you know, as when I was in high school, I knew that I was going to major in psychology, which I did. Um, I knew I was going to go right to grad school after college, which I did. Um, it just always felt like a sort of very um, linear path. Um, my road to transformation, I think, was uh, much rockier than my path to uh, to psychotherapy. My road to transformation was sort of just like I got beat over the head with it. Like you must do this. Um, and so it's one of those things that when you kind of hear from that part of yourself, you know, kind of that voice of intuition in such a strong way, you just, you don't ignore it. You don't say no. So basically I sort of heard the call and I just started changing my life. And, and two years later, here I am with a completely uh, different career. That's amazing. And so for someone who doesn't really understand the concept of transformation, manifestation, could you specifically define a manifestation? Sure. Yeah. So I think manifestation might mean something different depending on who you're speaking to about it. You know, manifestation, I think originally really um, and still is very much is kind of a spiritual concept. But now we kind of have um, more of an idea of how it works that's kind of rooted in science. It's rooted specifically in quantum physics and, and discoveries that have occurred uh, in quantum physics over the last hundred years. So my personal way that I like to describe manifestation, like I said, this might not be the way everybody describes it, but I like to think of it as a process of calling forth that which is aligned with our highest self. So I sort of conceptualize it as, you know, what what it is that's that's aligned with our highest self is already sort of like, I don't know, out there somewhere, just kind of waiting to come into this reality. Um, to use the sort of quantum physics language with that, it's called superposition. So everything is kind of waiting, it's in position, just waiting for for us to do something with it. So that's how that's how I like to conceptualize manifestations. That's great. And I want to read one of your posts real quick for um, people to just get an idea. I really specifically like this one. It says manifestation isn't a passive practice. It is not about simply thinking positively about what you desire until it becomes yours. To manifest new results effectively, you must be an active participant. So I think a lot of people can relate to that because when it comes to the law of attraction and manifesting what we want, I think a lot of people have the misconception that you just visualize and you send the energy and you don't put in the work and you don't really take the actions for it to occur. Um, so what would you say, would you say you agree with that and that maybe you've noticed those misconceptions yourself? I'm curious as to like people you've worked with, what they believe manifestation looks like versus what you really believe it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually don't always use the term manifestation because I think it can be such a loaded word for people. So I do use it sometimes, you know, in the post you just referenced, I, I did use that word. But um, 
it's just so commonly associated with sort of this like overly, I don't know, kind of like woo woo, like this isn't real or this is just kind of too out there sort of a thing. Um, and so, you know, I think, yeah, one of, so what's coming to mind for me right now is I want to talk about the movie, um, The Secret that came out, I think like 15 years ago. That was kind of the beginning of people really knowing about mm -hmm. manifestation more widely. And The Secret really, I mean, they did a good job with certain things, but they really failed to say like, hey, you have to do some things out in the world as well. So yeah, I think it's really, really important that people do understand that like, yes, it is actually about visualization. And it is, and it, it is about how you hold your mind, what thoughts you allow to come what thoughts you say no I'm gonna not think like that but it's about action steps too you know you don't just get to think about your new career all day and all night and visualize it happening and then do nothing and expect it to come you have to visualize and hold your mind a certain way and put attention on it and all of the things I just said but you also need to be out there in the world taking steps um taking a lot of times just baby steps but consistent steps in the direction of what your vision is of what you are manifesting if you if you're not doing that the vast vast majority of the time you're not going to um see what you're looking for actually come into your reality and like you said i think it's common for people to you know they want a huge change but they don't want to take those baby steps or they sit and complain and say you know i want this um, huge dream to occur, but like I don't want the whole journey to be there, if that makes sense. And so for someone who has never tried visualizing, um, where can they start and what would that look like? So a really good starting point for somebody who's never used visualization is to really um, pair the visualization process with writing. So I normally recommend <clears throat> um and this is something that uh, I actually have a guide for. So anybody who follows me on Instagram at your new frequency, the link in my bio takes you right to a guide for this. It's called a visioning guide. So basically what it helps you to do is really um, with specificity, write out what it is that you are manifesting. And then the process that I like to suggest people go through is to read kind of bits and pieces of what they've written out and then just take like 60 or 90 seconds just to close, close their eyes and just play through what they've just read. So basically, you know, you don't need to be like this, um, this pro at meditation or this pro at visualization. It's really just, I've written something that, that means something for me. It's what I want. And now I'm going to close my eyes and, and think about it, see it and try to connect with the feelings of how good it feels to see myself living that life. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's different for everyone and how they want to practice it. But in general, what have you noticed? Like how many times do people usually use visualization? Is it like once a year or just like for any kind of goal they have? I know that's a very vague question, but just curious, like within your work, what you've noticed? Yeah, I mean, I think that some people just kind of dabble in these sorts of things, which, you know, is fine. I think it has value no matter what, if you're doing it a little bit or a lot, but to really get the full um, effectiveness of these types of practices, you know, you pretty much want to be working with it more or less every day, you know, and it doesn't always 
have to be this big thing. It doesn't require a bunch of time. You know, sometimes it's really just, you know, at night when you first get into bed, your eyes are closed, you're about to fall asleep, just taking a couple of minutes to 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 just go through a, a, a very informal visualization process, whether it's about thinking um, about the day ahead tomorrow or, you know, thinking about sort of these, these kind of longer term um, manifestation goals. It doesn't have to be, like I said, a big deal. It's just about doing it um, with a level of consistency. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious as to like your thoughts on someone with anxiety, for example, say like they have a presentation tomorrow in class and they want to visualize that it goes well. But, you know, part of their brain's just telling them, no, you're going to mess up. You're going to, you know, you're going to fail. You're going to pass out, whatever it is. Um, what advice would you give to someone in that case where it's really hard for them to even get themselves to believe in a positive outcome? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think it's, uh, this has been an interesting process for me going from psychotherapist to transformation, because ultimately, this transformation work is not mental health work. And so it is, I think, an important differentiation to an extent. But to kind of answer your question specifically, um, you know, I think that as you go on with this work, it gets a little bit easier, or maybe even a lot easier to kind of manage unwelcome thoughts. So I know when I first started this work, it would be like, I would just be inundated with negative self-talk of, you're not going to be able to do this. You can't switch your career. Everybody thinks of you as a therapist and, you know, whatever it was, but just this constant negative talk coming at me that I very much felt I couldn't turn off. But as you go, as you stay with it over time, it gets a little bit easier. So through awareness, I started to notice, okay, the negative self-talk is popping up again. And once you're aware of, of what's going on in your head real time, you're kind of naturally a little bit more empowered to just kind of self-correct. So I, I, I guess what I'm really saying is it's the consistency that makes it easier. Um, as time goes on, you become more of a pro at just mastering your mind. Mm-hmm. And especially during social isolation, and a lot of people are surrounded by um, loved ones, how important is it to not take on that energy? Like, what tips do you have to, you know, I think it's hard now with a lot of people going home and staying with their families, or maybe they're surrounded by negative energy, and they want to keep, you know, that positive mindset going. What advice would you give to them? Yeah, um, that's such a, a really good question. And it's, you know, not a, a simple thing to do in in reality, um, mostly because when you're around people that are kind of putting, you know, we all have our sort of our own personal energy fields and that energy field, it doesn't just sort of start and stop at, at ourselves. You know, you, you feel it. I feel the energy field of those around me, just like they feel mine. So I think it's really about finding time to be alone. You know, even if it's just that, you know, you're, <clears throat> hiding in the bathroom for, for an extra 10 minutes after your shower or, you know, tucked away in your bedroom um, a little bit more than you might otherwise be. So I think that's one way, just simply get, like, getting yourself to be out of out of the, um, the energy fields of other people. But, you know, when you're in the room with people, I think it's really about uh, if there's somebody who's being overtly negative or even, you know, a little bit more um, low key with their negativity, it's really about 
noticing that that's happening so that you can say, okay, how can I self-protect here? Um, I, and it's not exactly, um, I don't think there's like a straightforward set of directions as to how to self-protect. But I know for me, if I'm around somebody who's being overtly negative, I'll actually sort of say to myself, what can I do here to self-protect? And sometimes I'll actually kind of like visualize myself being in this little bubble that's just for me, that nothing can nothing can penetrate it, nothing can permeate it. Um, that's something that over time has started to work better for me. Um, but for somebody who's never done anything like that, I think it can really just be about saying, okay, you are not going to be susceptible to what's going on. I am going to choose to let what's happening within me dictate how I feel instead of what's happening out in the world, or in this case, the world being just the environment of my home with my family or with my spouse. Mm -hmm. I love that whole idea of the bubble, because even though it sounds so simple, like I can already imagine how helpful it is, at least for me, you know, imagining like some kind of space or like um, invisible physical cloak or something definitely like helps in that sense. And so that's that's definitely a good one. And I want to get into the whole idea of like high frequency and low frequency. I know you discussed that a lot. So could you um, explain the difference between living a high frequency life as opposed to a low frequency life? Yeah. So I think that this is one of the more important concepts in transformation work and in uh, manifestation work. And the reason that it is so important is because ultimately when we're living on a lower frequency. So an example of that might be shame or fear or lust. Um, you know, uh, these are the types of, of, so what I've just described, those are kind of experiences. Those are emotional experiences, but, you know, ultimately when you live in those frequencies, it actually changes what's happening on a cellular level within your body. So this is something really cool that we've just started uh, being able to actually really study and see on, um, on like, you know, kind of machines of sorts. So basically, when you are on a lower frequency, what, what they're finding is that your the energy within your cells is moving more slowly. It's kind of like a denser, slower movement. When you're living on a higher frequency, like, for example, joy, gratitude, love, what they're finding there is that the energy within the cells moves much, much more quickly. And when we when it's moving quicker like that, it actually contributes to us feeling better, not just mentally, not just emotionally, not just spiritually, but also physically. And so when we are aligned with a higher frequency, when we are on a higher frequency, we then can call in experiences that are a match for us on that level. So somebody who's constantly flowing gratitude is not going to have a bunch of experiences where people are being nasty to them, where they're never getting what they want, where nothing seems to go their way. You know, gratitude is the frequency of receiving somebody who's living from gratitude is going to have a lot of great positive interactions and things are going to, you know, life isn't perfect and we can't control everything, of course, but things are going to go their way a lot more than somebody who's constantly living from a place of, of fear, for example. 
Mm -hmm. And even I feel like we all know someone who, you know, maybe blames everyone externally or blames the world or think or thinks, of course, this would happen to me, like nothing can go my way kind of energy. And at that point, like great things can happen, but I feel like they'll only notice what didn't work out for them or what they're not happy with. And so would you say that's like another example? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I like to be very careful with how I talk about these subjects because, you know, life happens to us and life is not necessarily easy. And for some people, it's harder than others. And somebody who does live from more of a victim mentality, you know, there's no part of me that wants to shame them for that. There's no part of me that wants to say, you are wrong for doing this. It's like, I get it. You know, I used to, (laughs) I used Mm -hmm. to live on lower frequencies, the majority of my, of my adult life, you know, I really did. So I think it's, like I said, it's important to realize that, you know, it's not about kind of calling people out for, for living on those lower frequencies. But yes, I do think that that is an example of what you might see. It's like, when you are constantly coming from this place of kind of like, woe is me, nothing goes my way, you do more often than not generate experiences that are a match for that, that are in alignment with that predominant way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Oh, I completely agree. And I think, you know, we've all been there and we can have empathy for that because I've, I've been in that case too. And, you know, it's not necessarily like someone's wrong, like you said, or, you know, they're living a bad life. It's just, I think a lot of us too, we grow up with limiting beliefs so that if we see for example, like a bad example of relationship, maybe we think, okay, well, that's what I deserve. And we don't know any better. So I definitely, I feel that compassion. And I think self-compassion is so important too. And so do you think um, limiting beliefs and even just like reflecting on our values has a lot to do with this idea of what kind of life, um, what kind of frequency we want to be on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a big, big part of this work is finding your energetic blocks. So really another way of saying it that might be kind of more easily understandable or, or, you know, just sort of consumed is what are your emotional blocks? You know, like, as I was saying, life happens, life happens to all of us in all kinds of ways. And if we don't, so let's say, I'm just going to give you an example. Let's say that um, somebody close to us passes away abruptly, suddenly, Um, And then instead of fully dealing with that grief and that pain, we kind of tuck it away. You know, the funeral comes, we cry at the funeral. And then after that, it's like, okay, well, this is done now. And then you kind of stuff it down. You um, utilize some unhealthy coping mechanisms to, to kind of compensate for the part that couldn't be all the way stuffed. So maybe you're drinking more, maybe you're, I don't know, having promiscuous sex, whatever, whatever it is. But when we make choices like that to not fully allow our emotional experience to occur, we end up having blocks. And like I said, those are emotional blocks, but they're also energetic blocks. And so if you don't kind of do that work of, resolving whatever is within you that's unresolved, you're going to find that actually anything um, related to manifesting, you know, great things, anything related to really transforming your life in a way that's going to, you know, make you happier, more fulfilled, whatever, you are going to 
come up short. You're going to find that there are constantly barriers getting thrown up, whether they're occurring in the external world or in the internal world of your own thoughts. It will keep coming up again and again because we have to get unblocked. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you brought that up um, because I think a lot of us learn to suppress our emotions and we think that, you know, okay, it's fine. We don't have to deal with it anymore. But it will always come out in another way, even if it's in the long run. And so how would you define a healthy relationship with one's emotions? I think a lot of people don't really know what that even looks like. I think that a, a healthy relationship to to our emotions really comes down to feel and release. Feel and release. So in other words, there's no bypassing that can go on. We can't skip out on difficult emotions. But on the other hand, we don't want to set up shop in the difficult emotions. You know, I think a lot of us, you mentioned kind of this idea of like, um, like a victim mentality. A lot of us get there because life happens to us. It's, it's hard. It hurts. It sucks. And then instead of being like, okay, well, wow, that was hard and that hurt and that sucked. It becomes everything hurts and sucks and you know, whatever. And so it's really about, like I said, feeling it, but then not leaning so far into it that you get stuck there and that becomes the new um, baseline from which you are living. It's like you want to feel it and then let it go, feel it and then let it go. And that is really, in my view, the code for managing emotions, for feeling them all without getting them kind of uh, stuck, without letting them become blocks. Mm -hmm. And in my most recent episode, I actually discussed this um, idea with the guest about toxic positivity and how it can actually go to the other extreme of instead of dealing with our emotions, we think being positive and not acknowledging how hard it was is actually better when in reality, you know, we're just covering up with, okay, I'm fine. Everything's fine. We'll get through it. Like too much positivity where you don't really deal with those painful emotions, which is obviously necessary in order to experience being a human in general. So um, for you, like with your work, I'm just curious as to what point do your clients get to? They're like, okay, I want to transform my life because I think it's different for everyone. Like it can be loss. It can obviously be like a breaking point. But what have you noticed um, is a common factor for people to be like, okay, I want to transform my life now. Yeah. Um, you know, I've actually, it's something I've been sort of studying a little bit more, more recently, because I think it really is different for everybody. Um, I've noticed that some people really fall more into the category of what happened for me, which was just like, I, so I attended, um, like a three day deep dive workshop that was personal development based. And then, like I said, I just kind of like got hit over the head with, you need to change your life. It is urgent. You must. And so I think a lot of people do kind of have that experience where it's like your mind is basically yelling at you like this is time. You must do it. But then I also think that there are people who it happens with more, um, I guess, subtlety. It's kind of like they're they're noticing some discontentment. They're noticing that they have some some things that they wish were different. And then little by little information kind of comes to them. You know, I mean, these days I often hear it in the context of seeing stuff on social media, seeing stuff on Instagram. It's like, 
oh, I really resonated with that idea that I, I have more control of my life than I once thought, or I really resonated with this idea, you know? And so little by little, as their awareness grows, as their um, knowledge of certain topics grows, it's kind of like they slowly lean into this idea of, okay, maybe I am ready to, to transform. Mm-hmm. And, um, what would you say, for example, on like the thoughts of being in control of your own life? Because like you said, obviously things happen to us. So much is out of our control, of course, but um, we're in control of how we react and move forward. And it's very common. I've been there, too, to believe that everything is only happening to us and we can't even control our reactions and we almost feel helpless. So um, what is like one like advice you would give to someone who really feels like they can't? they're not in control of um, their lives and the outcome. Yeah, I mean, I think you, uh, to some extent, just hit the nail on the head with this idea of, you know, we can't control everything right now being uh, case in point. You know, I mean, who knew that we would be in this moment um, where we're not even really allowed to leave our houses? It's like, talk about not being in control. Um, But we can control how we respond. And I think that is a major point of empowerment, realizing that we can respond instead of reacting. So to react is just to almost run off of an impulse. It's like, I have the impulse to say this, to yell this, to throw this, or, you know, on a lesser scale, um, you know, I just have an impulse to, to just say a particular thing and you know it doesn't actually serve me well it doesn't serve this conversation well but it's just what came out naturally which of course is really about old programming it's about being on autopilot and just kind of letting our old programming run the show but on the other side of that realizing that we can actually always choose and so when we choose we respond instead of react when we choose and, and we actually allow conscious thought to occur, we are been inherently more in control of everything because it's like, okay, so instead of saying that thing without thought, just kind of impulsively saying that thing, which will then, so I'm thinking of like an interaction with a spouse. So I impulsively said this thing that I know after I said it is rude, but I didn't think it through. And now it's caused a whole chain of events. Now we're fighting. Now for the next two days, we're going to be stuck in this house, mad at each other, slamming doors. Where on the other hand, when conscious choice is present, it's kind of like, okay, well, I don't want to be stuck in this house with, with tension for the next two days. What I do want is for us to be able to communicate well and for us to be, you know, happy together. So I am going to choose to calmly express what I'm feeling in this moment and to, you know, allow my partner to then respond back and, you know, on and on and on. But it's about choice. And I think that is really the biggest point of empowerment. Like we said before, there's definitely no shame around it. We've all been there. But what are some signs that you may be living a lower frequency life in this moment? If you, Because a lot of people may not even be aware. It may just be what they're used to. Or maybe they've been around family and loved ones who've um, been in a similar position and they don't know like the difference. So what are some signs that someone may be living a lower frequency life? 
I like to keep it really simple with this one. Um, I think that there are more complex answers that can be gotten into as well, but really the easiest way to know if you are living on a lower frequency or a higher frequency is to just simply ask yourself, how do I feel most of the time? If you're living on a low frequency, chances are most of the time you feel pretty lethargic on a physical level. Chances are you're not happy too often. Chances are you don't get excited about much. Chances are everything feels a little bit kind of like blah to you. Where if you're on a higher frequency, you're probably going to be more energetic. You're probably going to be somebody who gets excited about stuff. You know, I mean, even now in quarantine, I'm getting excited about stuff all the time because I've conditioned myself. I've taught myself how to live on a higher frequency. So I feel good way more than ever before. And so just really checking in with how do I feel? It's the easiest way to know the frequency that you're living on. Mm-hmm. And so with that said, what are some tips on raising your frequency? So I think that that kind of falls into two different categories. There's the stuff that kind of helps you raise your frequency fast. So like drop of a dime, I'm going to just change how I'm feeling. And then there's the longer term stuff that we were talking about, kind of like getting emotionally unblocked, um, raising your self-worth, things of that sort, things that are like really about kind of like the deep dive type work. But the the other kind of stuff that's really more about like in a moment, what can I do to, to change up how I'm feeling? Um, some really good ones, at least that, you know, in my experience, I, I found to be helpful, uh, generally are listening to music, music that's kind of like upbeat, music that, you know, kind of generates some emotion in you as music can do. Um, dancing, a lot of people have resistances to that one. But when we move our body in, in those ways, first of all, it can, um, it can kind of clear out our energy. You know, when we move like that, it, it can kind of shift up what's happening with our energy, but also it just kind of makes you feel good. Um, so that's something that can be really helpful. Um, some other things I think, you know, you can, um, what else comes to mind for me? Um, music and dancing are always my two big ones, but, um, also just like exercise being in nature. Um, uh, if you have animals like playing with your pets, um, it's really just about, again, this idea of like what makes me feel good. So doing things that make you feel good will raise your frequency very quickly. Oh, and I know, I know the one that I wanted to say that I forgot. Um, getting into um, a headspace of gratitude can be a really fast way to raise your frequency. Because as I was saying earlier, gratitude is really... The, it's a high frequency and it's the frequency of receiving. So oftentimes um, I do this more at the beginning than I do it now, but I would just write down five things that I'm grateful for. And then I would take a second which each with each thing that I wrote down to really try and feel it like, okay, well, I am grateful for my dolls. And I would just, if they were in the room with me, I would just look at them and smile and be like, yeah, you guys are awesome. If they weren't, I would in my in my mind uh, just kind of create a, a picture in my head of of my dogs and just like feel that gratitude. Like, yeah, they are awesome. They make my life feel better. Um, so I think that can be really, really helpful, too. And again, it, it has like a, a speed and efficiency to it. 
Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought up gratitude um, because I think, you know, there's no shame in like wanting more. I think we all want to live our best lives and it's great to have goals and um, visualize a better life for the in the future. But I think we also need to be grateful for what we have now. And a lot of people forget that and they think, okay, I'll just visualize what I want in the future, but I'm really unhappy with where I am now. So what are your thoughts on like being disconnected in that way where you you don't even feel gratitude for the moment, but you're only thinking about the future and just like the whole idea of not being present, basically? Yeah, I mean, I think a really good way of not falling into this trap of, well, I'm just going to think about what I want in the future and, you know, not at all have concern for what I do have now is to engage in what I like to call a simultaneous gratitude practice. So in other words, I'm grateful for what I have now and I'm grateful for what I want in my future. I'm grateful for what I'm manifesting, what I'm visioning. Um, as if it were already mine now. So it's, I'm grateful for what I have now and I'm grateful for what I'm manifesting as if it were already mine. If you can master those two forms of gratitude, you'll find that your life starts to transform and and you experience greater ease and, and you just feel better because you're so pleased with what you have now while also creating a future that you will love even more. Mm -hmm. And I think that connects to um, this idea I know you've touched on too, um, the abundance mentality. Um, It's easy to feel, you know, anxious and want things to change and feel like there's not enough in the world for everyone. So can you explain the abundance mentality for someone who's unfamiliar with that? Yeah, I mean, an abundance mentality is, is, basically exactly what you just said. You know, there is no lack in this entire universe. There is no lack. There are distribution problems. You know, there are people who have so much and people who don't have nearly enough at all. But technically speaking, there is enough abundance in this world for everyone to have all that they want and, and more, you know, I mean, a, a good example of that is sort of this idea of like, um, I'll, I'll tell you something that I was going through. So before I launched my Instagram, I knew that Instagram was going to be the way that I shared my work publicly. And so before I launched it, I would be looking at other people's uh, like profiles and seeing how many followers they had. And it would be like, and you know these were these were not my best moments, but I think it's important to to illustrate this. I'd be like, well, God, if this person who's doing similar work to me already has you know twenty thousand followers, how am I going to get that many followers? And it's like, what? That's not how that worked. Actually, they can have twenty thousand followers. They can have a million followers. It doesn't matter because what I'm doing is what I'm doing, and if I'm a match, if I'm aligned with what. I believe in and what's meant for me, I will have all of the followers in the world. You know, it has nothing to do with what someone else is doing. And so that's really what an abundance mentality is about. It's not feeling like if someone else has something that I want, that there's less available for me. There is plenty for everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you. 
thank you for your vulnerability because that's very relatable. Even just examples of like seeing, you know, I'll see someone who's around my age and they're already thriving with their businesses and they own all these places. Like it's easy to compare and think, okay, well, that's taking away from me when, like you said, there's an abundance and has nothing to do with my experience. And I think, you know, like a lot of people going into the whole idea of the intuitive self, a lot of us are not really in tune with ourselves and basically what we want in general. And and like you said, I think you've said this in a post that anxiety and fear kind of overrides that and we start to believe like trust your gut um, really helps when in reality we might just be listening to our fears holding us back. And so can you explain what it really means to trust your intuition and be connected with your intuitive self? Yeah, I mean, I think that getting in touch with your intuition is it's a thing that as you go through your transformation process, it gets very, it becomes very much easier to connect with. I know for me, before I began my transformation, even though I had been in years and years of therapy, knew myself insanely well, but, you know, I was still suffering from so much anxiety that my intuition was like buried under so many layers of crap. I barely ever heard from it. And if I did, I didn't recognize it. But as I moved through this work, this body of work, it became clear to me when my intuition was talking to me because, well, one, I had freed up, I had gone unblocked in all kinds of ways, but I started to really understand that when my intuition speaks to me, when anybody's intuition speaks to them, it's a very calm voice. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't fight back if you object to it. It doesn't, um, it doesn't like incessantly um, yell things at you. It's just kind of like, hey, listen, and states, calmly states what the truth is. You know, it doesn't always necessarily come in the form of like a, an announcement, but, you know, sometimes it's something that we just sort of feel in our body, whatever it is, but it's, it's always received from a place of calm. So in other words, if you're in a moment of extreme anxiety, anything that you hear that you might think is intuition, chances are it's just anxiety, actually. And you'll, if you start paying attention, you'll realize that it's just anxiety because you'll hear that it's not the things that I just described. It doesn't feel calm. It may actually be kind of yelling back at you. Um, It may, it just kind of has this feeling of being kind of unsettled. And all that really is, is the voice of anxiety. Like I said, the voice of intuition is a very, it, it comes to you with ease and it comes to you from a place of really um, just like kind of this like Zen equilibrium. And that's the easiest way to really know when intuition is talking to you. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, it's important to reflect on that. And, you know, I've been there too. Like I, I love my mother, of course, but there are times where I think, okay, is this fear like something I really believe or is it maybe what I heard growing up that maybe my mom would mention and so it like put that fear on me so it's really important to like get in tune with yourself and what you really believe and so for someone who is trying to transform their lives and maybe they've been on they've been on a higher frequency but with everything going on of course it kind of feels like our lives are paused and a lot of people are experiencing more anxiety and hardship and of course, we feel self-compassion for ourselves because it's normal to feel that way. But what advice would you give to someone who feels like, you know, everything is paused and they don't really know where to go from here with their transformation? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely, it's it's really a, a very fair thought to have, as you pointed out. You know, I mean, we are living in a in a version of reality that certainly has never been seen before in our lifetimes, and so yeah, it's natural to feel like, okay, well, everything is just on hold. I guess I'm going to, you know, sit and watch TV for the next six weeks. But the truth is so much of, of transformation work is internal work. And so this is actually an amazing um, environment to do that work because one, we have uninterrupted time. You know, I know for me, I'm used to running all over the place. You know, I, I still have a brick and mortar office that I go to a couple of days a week. Um, I have a, a group therapy practice that I manage that requires things of me. Um, just the er the errands that come with being a person, you know, like there's normally all of this, this stuff happening. And so it interrupts the internal work of, 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 you know, what might occur in a transformation process. So anyway, when we are in one place, it's kind of like, all right, well, how can I internally regulate right now? How can I create a space within myself that is joyous, even while I'm not able to leave my home? And so it's kind of a unique opportunity slash challenge, um, that if you choose to accept it, I'm not saying there won't still be low moments, there definitely will be, but it's actually, um, it's, a, it's a good moment to kind of harness um, some of the things that maybe we didn't have an opportunity to before because life is busy. Mm -hmm. And would you recommend uh, meditation specifically? Is that, um, do you think that's similar to visualization? Can you explain like for someone who's never even meditated before where they can start? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of meditation. Um, as somebody who historically had a lot of anxiety, one of the ways that I initially started to kind of quell that anxiety was through meditation. And I think the reason why it was so valuable for me and for anybody really is, is because it allows you a space um, where nothing actually really matters. When you successfully meditate, and I'll talk about how to kind of get into a practice in a minute. When you're successfully meditating, nothing that's happening in your reality actually matters because you're disconnected from it. You're sort of, you're, you're elsewhere. And so it's like a, a momentary uh, escape or solace or respite from all of the stuff that's actually making you anxious. So one of the really, I think the easiest ways to start with meditation is to begin with really, really short increments of time. So if you're somebody who has never meditated before, I would say literally start with 60 seconds. And if you Google this, you might find a lot of people that say, start with five minutes, start with, you know, three minutes, whatever. But I love the idea of just 60 seconds, because if you're just trying to clear your mind and, and have a quiet mind for just one minute, you're way more likely to have a win then if you're if you're trying to do it for five minutes it's just a really long time five minutes of a of a quiet mind when you're not trained in already in in knowing how to get your mind to stay that way it's like an eternity and what will end up happening is you're going to start self-attacking because you're like what the heck is going on here i've just had so many thoughts this is like the opposite of meditation so 60 seconds where you so this is another another piece of this 
meditation, a lot of people think of it as a passive practice, but it's actually um, a practice in attention. So really knowing where to place your attention, I find to be so valuable. So for most people, it's either on the breath um, or on the body, or for me, and I, I think everybody kind of finds their own sweet spot. I like to really focus my attention just kind of softly, just behind my eyelids. But I know specifically where my attention is going. I'm going to just keep my attention just behind my eyes. I'm noticing that my attention is there. And that will help it help you to, to keep your mind from wandering too much. And then the other piece of this, which um, I think a lot of people know about these days, is just a, is guided meditation. So using an app like Headspace or Calm or Insight Timer, um, they take you through a process where they, it is a little bit longer than 60 seconds. It might You start off with more like three or four minutes, but because someone is talking to you and really helping you through it, it's a little bit easier to, to kind of tolerate that amount of time. I, I've read too that people say like start with five minutes or three minutes and it feels like forever when it's your first time and I think people get discouraged very easily because their minds also like wander and that's very normal at first and obviously like practicing on and on will help but um, going back to the whole idea of transforming your life what would you tell someone who right now like obviously everyone's going through something different and there are people who have kids you know they, they don't have the luxury of just self-reflecting and relaxing. They have kids. Maybe they're working three jobs. Um, someone who wants to start being more in tune with themselves and transforming their lives, but they feel like they don't even know where to start. They don't even have the time. What's like something simple they can even do, whether it is journaling or whatever you believe would be helpful? I think that's something that everybody should be doing and can do regardless of how much time is available to them is practicing active awareness of themselves being an active observer or witness to themselves so basically what that looks like is and this is just just like pretty much anything else this is a a practice that it will take some time to like get into a flow with but the objective is just to really notice who you're being throughout the day so noticing your behaviors noticing how you're showing up in your interpersonal interactions and whatnot but also observing your thoughts, because when we become an observer of our thoughts, we pull ourselves out of autopilot and we really, it's like we've taken the wheel. And that's, that sort of cir circles back to what I was saying about like reacting versus responding. When you are an observer of yourself, you have so much more choice available to you because you see what's going right with you and you see what's going wrong. You can, you can notice when a negative um, pattern of thought is coming up for you. You can notice when an emotional reaction is, you know, about to, to overflow and, and, you know, hit your, hit your spouse or hit your coworker or whatever, you know, something that doesn't serve anybody well, you notice it and then you can kind of choose. And so the reason why I think this is something that's so great for somebody who doesn't have a lot of time is need time this is you're just this is something that you're kind of doing in addition to whatever is kind of occurring in your life so as you're moving through your day you're just kind of remembering to observe yourself remembering to be a witness of yourself it doesn't take additional time it's just kind of like a dual process mm -hmm. and like we've discussed before obviously like a lot of us don't realize we're living in a low frequency and there's nothing to be ashamed of in that case but 
how vital do you believe it is to, you know, practice patience and just be self-compassionate, especially for someone who doesn't even realize there are wounds there or blockages that they have? Um, How vital do you believe it is to practice self-compassion and patience through that healing process and through one's transformation? It's super, super, super essential. I mean, I can't stress it enough. Basically, without that, the presence of some compassion for yourself, without the presence of some grace, without offering yourself some of that, you will basically stop before you even get started because it's so easy. So the human mind, it's naturally slanted towards the negative. It's kind of like... A, a leftover um, survival thing, you know, like when we in caves, we really needed to kind of be a little bit weary of everything because we needed to make sure that we were going to be able to keep ourselves and our families alive. So it's like, I am going to be skeptical about everything. I'm going to be a little negative about everything. Thousands of years later, we haven't actually evolved out of that. So we will naturally slant negative with all kinds of things. And so if we don't purposely and actively provide ourselves some grace and some compassion, like I said, what will happen is it's kind of like, well, I failed. I suck at this. I can't do this. I'm throwing in the towel. With the presence of grace and with also kind of an accompanying knowledge that all of this stuff does take time. It requires patience and discipline and commitment. Now you have a a real fighting chance of actually transforming, of actually feeling better, feeling different, because you're allowing for the process to occur. You're allowing transformation to happen, which transformation of your entire way of being or large parts of of who, who you're being and how you're being, I mean, it's going to take some time. It's not the type of thing that's like, well, it's been two months, so I should be a totally different person now, right? like well how many years have you been on this planet already being the person that you've been so you're gonna i'm not saying you know if you're 28 that you're gonna need another 28 years to change but you're gonna need more than a couple of months you're going to need a period of time of ongoing forward movement of commitment and then you know as to your point pairing that with really being kind to yourself and offering yourself the patience that you that we all so desperately need Mm-hmm, exactly. I, it's so easy to think like, oh, I'll just read one or two self-help books and my mindset should change. Like it's so easy, but we have so much reprogramming to do and we've lived like such a long life with certain beliefs. And so it's not that simple and it's a lifelong journey. So I appreciate you mentioning that. And so overall, the show is about living your most authentic life. And like I've said too, it's it's not a destination. It's something we're forever learning and we're forever evolving to. So our authentic selves change every day. And so for you, what does living your most authentic life mean? So when I think of the word authenticity, I really think of alignment, you know, being in alignment with your principles, being in alignment with your highest self, and people may feel that they were brought here for sort of big, grand mission, if you will. You know, like, I am brought to this earth to do X. And it's like, you know, a game changer. For other people, it's something much more simple. You know, I am brought here to be a mom. I am brought here to, you know, um, be a, I don't know, a school teacher, whatever it is. It's just really aligning yourself with your personal set of truths. 
and finding those things by being an observer of yourself, by being an observer of your thoughts. Because when we observe ourselves for a period of time, you get a lot of information about what you do like, what you don't like, what you do want, what you don't want. And with that, you gain access to the, what I like to call your higher self or your highest self. Um, and, and once you start living on higher frequencies, you can connect with that part of you much, much more easily. And from that place, alignment just starts to occur. And you know when something is out of alignment and you know when something is in alignment. And so from that place of alignment, authenticity is all that can possibly be generated. That's all that there is from that place of alignment. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I so appreciate you being here and sharing your insight. Um, So lastly, I want to ask you, even though it is such an unpredictable time, overall, what's coming up next for you and your work and where can listeners give you a follow? Absolutely. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been great. Um, My Instagram is my main my main social media platform that I use. So you can find me at your new frequency. And what's coming up for me is I am currently in the process of putting together um, my first program that will be available for purchase. Um, So something that without, you know, ever actually having worked with me that you can, you know, it's, it's not going to be a high ticket item. It's something that's going to be financially accessible for people. And that will take people through a process that will help them to um, work through difficult emotions, to harness um, motivation, and to begin the transformation process. So I am hoping that that will be released in month of May, which is something that I am super excited about. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited to see what listeners take away from this episode. So I hope you stay safe and we'll talk soon. Thank you. You too. I hope you enjoyed that one. I hope you were able to take something away. I specifically really enjoy discussing the whole idea of responding versus reacting because at the end of the day, you know, we can't control where we're born, who our parents are, but we do have the power to control how we respond and react. Christina explains such a great differentiation between the two, responding versus reacting. And like we mentioned before, it's so easy to get caught up in thinking, oh, it's so easy for anyone to manifest the life they want or even work for the life they want. But you know, we have to be realistic. Say, for example, like you're born into a white, rich family, and of course you're going to get better opportunities than, say, someone born into maybe not the best neighborhood or they've been affected by racism, whether they're black or a non-black person of color, maybe doesn't have laws and policies that help them thrive. And that's a reality we need to face. So we need to focus on what laws and policies we want to vote on, what kind of life we want to have, how we can change the world for the better, and not just wish for it to change because even just when it comes to the conversation of race i've seen a lot of people post why can't we all just love why can't we you know i'm not racist why can't we all just love and i know that's not the topic necessarily of this episode but it made me think about it and in that case you know it's not that simple because 
there's a system that is racist and laws and policies that do benefit white people over black people or non-black people of color. And that's the, and a reality that we need to change and take action over. So we can't just say, I'm visualizing that we all are loved and care for each other. It's way more than that. And so once again, I really do appreciate Christina's approach because she's very open about visualizing, meditating, and taking action. You can't just complain about your life and not do anything about it. And that's another example. You know, you need to do that inner work, be self-aware and self-reflect. And that's just the start. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you'd like to learn more about Christina's work, you can visit her website, yournewfrequency.com or her Instagram at yournewfrequency. You can also follow the Instagram for the show at trustandthrive and my personal Instagram at tara.mont. And all that info will be in the description of this episode. And so with that said, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. I hope you take care of yourself. You take some time to rest and recuperate. And I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday.